Section two of Miss Priscilla Hunter and My Daughter Susan by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Miss Priscilla Hunter, Chapter two. She throws new light on taxation. That was the way it began. No, I mistake, it began back of that. One night with Priscilla Hunter on her knees, her soul heavy within her because of the disgrace lying heavy on our church. She prayed, and then she crept back into bed, and tossed and tumbled and thought, and finally flung aside the clothes and got on her knees again, seeking for light. And at last, with a smile on her face as of one who had received light, smoothed her small rumpled pillow and laid her grey head on it and went quietly to sleep, since which time her plans had been maturing. Behold her one morning, instead of being seated at her accustomed corner by that little east window, with her lapboard standing up beside her, and her bit of wax and her black thread and grey thread and gleaming shears on a chair before her, and the great pressing goose heating itself on the coals in her bit of a kitchen, behold her with her neat black bonnet and her neat black shawl and her neat black cotton gloves all donned, arrayed for walking, and in her window, carefully printed out in letters so large and smooth that it had taken her half the afternoon before to accomplish them, this sentence, gone on a three weeks vacation. Yet she didn't expect to leave the town, it was only her way of saying, you needn't expect a stitch of work from me for the next three weeks, and that's all there is about it. Ten minutes after she had locked her door and clamped down the steep steps, she stood in Mr. Merchant's presence in the First National Bank of our city. "'Good morning,' she said, and then she dashed into her subject without hesitation or circumlocution. "'Mr. Merchant, we have made up our minds to pay that church debt. It has been on our hands long enough, and we are sick of it.' The money is all to be raised now without fail in six months' time. We want you to head the subscription. What will you give? Well, really, said Mr. Merchant, somewhat taken aback by this abrupt announcement and the peculiar manner of its wording. I'm sure I'm wonderfully glad that the debt is to be paid at last. Of course you are. Everyone in his senses is. The question is, how much are you going to help? Well, as to that, how many times have I subscribed for that very thing, and how much money do you suppose I have sunken in paying that debt? Not a cent, said Miss Priscilla firmly. Never a cent. You've given a good deal, I suppose, in the last dozen years to some idiot who came around trying to see how much money he could raise towards paying it, it has always gone towards paying it, mind you, and never to pay it. Women don't do business in that way. We are sick of forever going towards a thing and never reaching it. We've just walked up to this and taken it by the throat. Now, how much are you willing to give? Not to see it choked a little, mind you, with a fair prospect of coming to life again, but killed outright. Do you mean asked Mr. Merchant, greatly amused, that unless you raise the whole amount, I am not to be called on to pay my subscription? Well, if you like that namby-pamby way of putting it, you can have it so, 
but I won't take any unfair advantage of you. I'll say outright in plain English that whatever you put down will be called for, and you won't be asked to give anything again as long as you live for this debt, because it is going to be paid. Now, how much shall it be? Three hundred dollars? said Mr. Merchant at random. All right, put it down in black and white in this book. If I was your conscience, I should say you ought to make it five hundred at least. But seeing I'm not, I'll let that part alone and take the three hundred and be on my way. Make it payable six months from today, if you please, at ten o'clock a.m. And in less time than it takes me to tell it, Miss Priscilla had received back her little red-covered book, whipped it into her pocket, made her best bow to the amused Mr. Merchant, and was off. "'I might as well made it a thousand to encourage her,' he said, looking after her and laughing. "'It will never be collected. People are about tired of calls for the payment of that debt.' Just what Mr. Merchant thought was going to become of the debt in that case, he did not state. On went Miss Priscilla on her self-appointed task. Her next call was at the house of one of the merchant princes of our church, Mr. Hordwell. Was there a faint sarcasm intended by his ancestors in forcing that name on him? Certainly if there was any one thing at which this man was an adept, it was the art of hoarding. That he certainly could do well." He put on his longest face the minute that Miss Priscilla told her errand, which she did in as rapid and straightforward a way as she had used before. "'Well, now, Miss Hunter, I appreciate your errand, and the motive which prompts you.' "'Never mind about the motive or the appreciation, Mr. Hordwell. It is the check I'm after. There are a great many people to call on, you know.' I mean to give every man, woman, and child a chance. It is the last time. A faint smile illumined his sallow face. If one could only have your sanguine spirit, Miss Hunter, the debt ought to be paid. There is no question about that to my mind. It is a disgrace to our society that it isn't. I have said so a great many times. I know it. I've heard you say it in prayer meeting twenty times at the very lowest, I should think. So there's no need of saying it again. Now's your chance to prove that you think so. There is nothing like proving sums, you know. Come, how much? Well, really, I am not in circumstances to give very liberally at this time. I have had heavy losses, and my taxes were never greater than they are this year. Almost any year since I have been in business, I could do better than I can today. That's a pity. I wish you had done twice as much then five years ago as you are going to do today. But it is never too late to begin. What shall it be? You quiet people, Miss Hunter, who sit in your pleasant rooms outside of the bustle and fret of business, have very little idea of the risks and losses. You always suppose us to be made of money. You have a good deal more risk of loss than I do, Mr. Hordwell. That's a fact. I appreciate it. Did you ever hear the story of the man who heard that a certain bank had failed, and felt uneasy till he hurried home to see whether he had any money of theirs? But he found he hadn't a dollar on that bank or any other, 
and then he felt safe. I'm exactly in his circumstances. No risk of my houses burning down, or a thief stealing my bonds. I'm as safe about all them things as though I was the only being on earth. And as for taxes, well, they don't trouble me either, never did. That is it, Miss Hunter, and you see, the fact is, people who don't have those drains on their purse have no idea what heavy ones they are. There's that one building of mine across the way. I don't believe you could imagine what it has cost me for one thing and another this past year. I don't suppose I could, said Miss Hunter with a solemn face. It is a good big building. I should say it must have cost a great deal. I declare, now you speak of it, it doesn't seem hardly fair that you should have all the tax paying to do, and so many of us go free from such trials. I wonder a different arrangement isn't made. I dare say nobody has thought of it. But I don't believe in that kind of thing. I think we ought to bear one another's burdens. I'll tell you what we'll do, Mr. Hordwell. You make that property over to the church, give them a fair right and title to it, you know, and will engage to pay all the taxes on it from this time forth. And what is more, you needn't pay a cent towards raising this debt. I should think not, exclaimed Mr. Hordwell, with a laugh and a significant sniff. Why, my dear woman, that property is very valuable. It would pay the debt three times over. That's neither here nor there, you know. What you are complaining of was the taxes on it and if I understood what you were driving at, it was because of those taxes and some others that you couldn't make as large a contribution as you wanted to. Now if it really is a burden, and you feel the weight of it, why not get rid of it, and at the same time do a good deed to the church? We are willing to help you in this thing. I promise you that any more tax, or any more repairs on that building, is something that you needn't concern yourself with for the next hundred years, if you will just give us a deed of it. Ha <laughs> ha! laughed Mr. Hordwell. You ladies like your little jokes, I see. That is very well put, I declare. Jokes? I was never more in earnest in my life. Why not? If it isn't a burden... If, on the other hand, it is so much wealth, and you can afford to pay heavy taxes on it for the sake of the income which it brings you, then what in the name of common sense did you mean? Mr. Hordwell had certainly never looked at the matter in just that light before, and whatever other follies he was guilty of, it was a long time after that before he excused himself from benevolence on the plea of heavy taxes. It took more talk, and a great deal of it, and even then I fear that Miss Priscilla would have walked away without her contribution, but for unfailing good nature and unselfishness. "'I am sorry to take up so much of your time,' said Mr. Hordwell, looking at his watch and fingering his hat. "'Really, how late it is getting!' He understood all those little gentlemanly devices for getting rid of a troublesome collar, as well as a gentleman could. But I must say I don't feel this morning like— Oh, no trouble in life, interrupted Miss Priscilla with good-humoured alacrity. If you don't feel ready to decide this morning, why, I can call again just as well as not. I've set out to do this thing, and I mean to do it. 
there are a good many to call on i mean to give every man woman and child a chance and i'll have to pass here pretty often so i can call as well as not i'll just drop in every morning as i pass by and whenever you have made up your mind you can just say the word and in that way it won't take much of your time how many such calls do you think even mr hordwell stood let me tell you just five absolutely it took him five days to make up his mind that it was impossible to avoid giving something he couldn't comfort himself in the way that mr merchant had for he feared there was a possibility that sometime away in the dim distant future he might be called upon to redeem his pledge there said miss priscilla drawing a long sigh of relief one very rainy morning as she splashed down the walk from his door with his name on her list for one hundred dollars if i haven't earned that money then i never did earn any in my life i've a great mind to scratch out his name and put priscilla hunter there in its place for if i didn't give it who did it's harder work than boys pants at seventy-five cents a pair but i've got it end of section two